Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz, off-screen. What does she mean by that? Let me get started. Every day, we see the power of 1.3 billion people and 9 billion sensors are interacting in ways we once only expected to see in the movies, hence the reference off-screen, on-screen. Let me give you some scenarios. Let's see if we can get you all excited here. We've seen pilots heroically steering crowded passenger planes through clouds and storms to avoid, uh uh-oh, an unforeseen volcano eruption that's shooting high into the sky and making havoc everywhere. The pilots are successful. We have seen farmers responsibly feeding billions of people worldwide. How? With precision farming, they're saving depleted natural resources. We have seen consumers rallying to change an unhealthy but very popular globally 130-year-old soft drink recipe. Yes, this is happening in the real world, not just on the screen anymore. This is reality today. What is it all about? The digital economy and hyper-connectivity. And when I talk about sensors, I'm talking about the data that they generate. What is happening here? This data, these sensors, this interconnectivity, this hyperness is transforming our lives, transforming our society, transforming our planet. Does it get any bigger than that, kids? So the question, since we are a business show, is have you and your company, your organization, your industry embraced the change yet? Do you know about the digital economy? Are you using hyperconnectivity? Are you embracing the power of these sensors and this huge stream of data that's coming through? So we have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure it all out and give you some advice on how your organization can adapt if you haven't started yet or you're kind of sort of teetering on the edge. Let me introduce my very first panelist. He is Fabian Cortez. He's an associate partner of customer engagement and commerce practice, and he's the leader of that practice at IBM. And here's the quote, which is from a Gartner report in 2011 titled, By 2017, the CMO will spend more on IT than the CIO. Here's the quote. Within two years... Digital commerce and systems of engagement will drive more IT expenditure than any other enterprise applications. Fabian Cortez, welcome. How are you today? Bodhi, I am doing fantastic. We love fantastic. I'll take it. You can come back on the show anytime you want. Fantastic is good. Fabian, tell me about this quote, how you picked this for our topic today, please. It It is very interesting nowadays to see how we are engaging in the marketplace, consumers, uh, both from the business and from uh, the general market. Um, I believe that there is a significant transformation happening the way all businesses reach their customers, whether they are B2C or B2B. And more and more, we're seeing that our customers are driving these initiatives that have huge technological impact from the business side rather than from the IT side. So we see more and more CMOs, CSOs 
they indirectly involve in the decision-making process uh, that will impact how those businesses reach their customers. And, and this is a transformation in paradigm because we now have to interface as providers, not only with IT people, but also with the decision makers that have a business background. This represents a change in how we conduct business, how do we help our customers be successful, and at the same time for our customers, it represents how they are going to be doing decisions for the next five years for their business. So this is a, it has a huge impact and more and more will uh, reflect the change in the development of the skills that we have to uh, uh, put into our, our workforce so we can talk business and we can talk technology uh, for all of our engagements. Fabian, I have a question for you. Is there a business on the planet? I mentioned the planet in terms of this digital economy and global change. Is there a, a company, an organization, an industry on the planet that is not aware of the digital economy, that's never heard the term sensors, that doesn't know what IoT, Internet of Things, is? Do you think somebody's still hiding under a rock and this is breaking news? What do you think? I, I think everybody is aware of this uh explosion of, of devices. Um, what I see being the challenge for uh, a lot of these organizations is how to actually implement and leverage these new technologies. So there's a huge opportunity for us as thought leaders, as business transformation uh, leaders, to help these organizations to really energize and synergize all of these new capabilities that are just wonderful and, and will make our lives much easier. I guess that's the point, right? We want to make everybody's lives much easier while people are making a living and enjoying the life that they can afford with the living they make. And I digress. Thank you very much, Fabian Cortez. Excellent introduction to our topic. Now I'm going to introduce our second panelist. He is Pete Swaby, a senior editor at the Economist Intelligence Unit, fondly known as the EIU. And here's a quote from the EIU, a report from 2015 this year. I quote, the majority of executives believe that failure to adapt to hyperconnectivity is the biggest risk their organization faces. Pete Swaby, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well. Very well. Thank, thanks for joining us. Interesting quote. We've already mentioned hyperconnectivity. Tell me what this report is really saying. What are you, what are you presenting here? Well, thanks, Bonnie. So, so yeah, it was a new report from us published this week sponsored by SAP, and it's the second phase in a, an ongoing research program that we have called the Hyperconnected Economy. Um, and at the center of that research program is this idea of hyperconnectivity, which we define as the, the growing internet, interconnectedness of people, organizations, and machines that results from the internet, mobile technology, and the internet of things. So in the first phase, we had a look at uh, some of the economic research into what the economic impact of hyperconnectivity is. We found that generally for, for countries uh, on a sort of global macro scale, it is a, uh, a tide that raises all, all ships, and it's going to be especially beneficial for developing economies. But in the, the second phase, we looked at how it's going to impact uh, organizations and how organizations are adapting to it. And so we found, as, as the quote that you uh, just, just read out there reveals, that it's certainly high on the agenda. The uh, majority of executives agreed with the statement that the failure to adapt to hyperconnectivity is the biggest risk their organization faces. 
but at the same time, we found that they were generally positive about hyperconnectivity. They most agree that it presents more opportunities than threats, and most believe that their organizations are doing a job, good job of adapting to it. Uh, but there was a little bit of a discrepancy we found about between the views of many of the experts we spoke to who said that this, uh, this trend requires radical or transformational or deep change, whereas most of the people that res replied to our survey said they don't expect to radically restructure their organizations as hyperconnectivity increases in future. Thank you very much, Pete. I'm, I'm very intrigued by the phrase failure to adapt. If they're aware, if they know how important it is, wouldn't it be an egregious lack of responsibility, failure of due diligence to not adapt? Is there a reason that they would say, the executives would say, well, if we fail to adapt, what would stop them from adapting? Is it money? Is it talent? Is it uh, uh, hardware? What, what would stop them, Pete? Any quick thoughts on that? Um, well, I think it's all of the above, but I also knowing what to do. Ah, Okay. Very interesting. We will cover that during the show because our topic today is the digital economy, how organizations adapt. I think we're going to change the title right now to how organizations should adapt, why organizations should adapt, and how organizations can adapt. I think we're going to expand the title because that seems more appropriate to what our discussion is taking on so far. Thank you, Pete. Nice to meet you and welcome to the show. You and Fabian are both newcomers to SAP Game Changers Radio. And my third guest I'm about to introduce is no stranger to our show. He is Dinesh Sharma, Vice President of Digital Economy at SAP. Hence, that's why he's here on the show. And here's Dinesh's quote. And he's calling all the way from Hong Kong. We'll talk to him in a second. He says, the digital economy is quickly becoming a fact of life for all of us. But when it comes to the business world, the digital economy is much more than that. It's about reinvention. A lot of power words in there. Dinesh Sharma, what time of day or night is it in Hong Kong? And welcome. How are you? I'm pretty good, Bonnie. Thanks for uh, having me back. It's uh, actually uh, 10, minutes, 10 minutes past 10 in the evening. It's been a long day. <laughs> so, well, we, we are very appreciative yeah, that you're taking the time. Go ahead, Dinesh. Mm -hmm. um, really, you know, when I talk about it being a fact of life for all of us, we all engage in it today. Um, you know, whether it's from customized home screens on, on our phones or it's from a DVR, which essentially has a programmed personal TV channel for each of us, to, you know, ride-sharing services like Lyft and Uber to Airbnb. I mean, in, the, in our personal life, we engage in the digital economy every single day. One of the things that's done is it's created an environment where the kind of technologies that we're exposed to in our personal lives are much more advanced than some of the things we've come across in life. What that is doing is driving a much faster pace of adoption that businesses need to react to. Um, people are not going to put up with software and other kinds of capabilities which are inferior to the kind of user experiences that they, that they have on a daily basis. If you think about it from a personal level, you know, as soon as an application becomes a necessity to you, it, it only takes about a week. Um, so that's suddenly something that tr transcends the type of technology adoption curves we, we've ever seen. And so that is why businesses have to now react. Um, the time cycles are moving much, much faster. But the opportunities, what I'm trying to say with the quote, is the opportunities in the digital economy are huge. 
we anticipate that it's going to be almost a tripling of the gross world product in terms of the value generated uh, by this transition over the next five to ten years. And so as an opportunity, it is by far and away the fastest uh, growth opportunity that's ever ever come across business um, in history, essentially. And we think this is really needs to show it. A lot of it is driven by just the confluence of certain technologies that have kind of arrived at this point, whether it's cloud, whether it's mobile devices, whether it's uh, custom sensors, um, the ability for businesses to interact with one another in a seamless manner, social networks, how, how people maintain and create connections. All of these things have had to develop over the last 10 years to get to this particular point. And this particular point is really difficult kicking off of this era of hyperconnectivity, which is going to have just profound impact on, 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 on the world. Thank you very much, Dinesh. Good, good roundup to our overview of the topic. So we've got a couple of key words here. We've got the phrase digital economy. We have the wonderful word, Dinesh, added reinvention. We're focusing on the business world. Organizations must adapt, period. End of story. But we have a lot more to the story. I'm going to circle back to our first panelist, Fabian Cortez, and ask him, oh, a very important question. Fabian, what are you drinking right now? What's in your cup today? Or tell me a favorite beverage story from anywhere in the world. Fabian, go ahead. Boney, I, um, I recently acquired one of those um, arm monitors that looks at your basic functions, and I discovered two things. I discovered that I need to sleep more, and I discovered <laughs> that I need to drink more water. So today I have a glass of the finest decaf diet energy water with me. Interesting. Now tell me a little more. You can mention a brand and what size bottle is it and is it cold or room temperature and does it have a flavor? Come on, Fabian, give me a little more detail here. Absolutely. This this comes from my house. Um, it's tap water. It's fresh. It tastes delicious. It's um, it's something that I, uh, I've been uh, learning how to do. I, I never wow. grew up drinking a lot of water. I used to drink um, fresh uh, fruit waters growing up. Uh, I'm originally from Mexico. At some point, I also caught on the diet uh, soda, uh, but I'm slowly uh, moving away from that. So it's it's a it's been a new experience to me how to drink fresh water on a daily basis, at least 20 ounces a day. Wow, you you had me going there, kid. You really had me going. I'm asking for the bottle, the brand, and the flavor, and it's tap water. You know, there's a big dispute going here, uh, Fabi, and I live on Long Island just about oh, a mile and a half or two miles from the border of Queens, which is one of the boroughs of New York City. And people say Queens tap water is excellent, but where I am, not so much. And I happen to like my own tap water here. I think it's pretty good. So we have a big debate about we know it's healthy, but the question is, does it taste good? I think it's okay. I'm with you, kid. Thank you, Fabian. And let's talk to Pete Swaby. Pete, where are you right now, and what are you drinking? I'm in uh, London's glamorous Canary Wharf. And I am drinking, quite excitingly as well, a glass of water, kindly provided by a colleague of mine who knew I was just about to go onto the radio and uh, would need a glass of water to stop my throat drying out. But uh, it's unusual in that I'm not currently drinking a cup of tea because I uh, revert to the British stereotype and uh, usually found with a, a cup of tea. I, I had to give up coffee a few years ago because I found my, my uh, attention span uh, veering in and out too too dr- drastically so i've reverted just to tea 
these days. Ah, what's your favorite tea? Oh, it doesn't really matter. I don't have a favorite oh. brand, I'm afraid to say. I, uh, is it herbal I'll, or I'll you, you, you use deca- caffe- caffeinated tea or herbal? Uh, caffeinated. Okay, getting still getting that little bit of a kick. Thank you very much, Pete. And <laughs> right. here's to water, and we'll talk about water in just a second. Dinesh Sharma, ten, well, now it's 17 minutes after 10 p.m. You're 12 hours ahead of me here in New York. You're in Hong Kong. So what are you drinking to keep yourself awake? Or what was the last drink you had when everybody put the lights out? What was the last drink you had, Dinesh? Well, I'm not going to talk about the last drink I had. I'm going to try and <laughs> wish about the drink I was going to have. Because yes. whenever I do an event like this, uh, uh, when I travel around the world, my little for myself is a uh, vodka martini when I'm done with it. But because I was going on the radio, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give that one a pass. So, but that's what I wish I was drinking right now. I feel pretty bad now when I have to compete with two waters. That makes me feel ah. <laughs> like I'm, you know, the, the rest of the flush. But, uh, you know... I don't get to have a cocktail very often, so that, that's what I would be drinking at this particular time if, if I could. Well, thank you very much. I've never heard anybody in the show say they have having trouble competing with two glasses of water. I think that's a very refreshing, refreshing and telling remark about the health health consciousness of our society now. Dinesh, thank you. And I want uh, Fabian and Pete to be in good company because you two don't know me. Dinesh knows me a little bit, but on radio days, they don't allow me to have caffeine. All I'm allowed is water. So I've got it in a very pretty glass. It's cold. It's filtered from my refrigerator, and I have a bright, pretty yellow straw in it so I can sip while I'm hosting the show and nobody hears me going gulp, gulp, gulp. So that's our coffee break segment. Thank you very much. Guess what? We're going to take a quick break. We're, our topic today, very important one, is the digital economy, how organizations can adapt, why they should adapt. See, I did adapt the title to the topic. Talking today with Fabian Cortez at IBM, Pete Swaby at Economist Intelligence Unit, the EIU, and Dinesh Sharma at SAP calling all the way from Hong Kong. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. And I still plan to be Bonnie D. Graham after the break. So right now I'm going to say the key word everybody's waiting for. Bread out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag 
S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. Welcome back. Our topic today is the digital economy, how organizations can and should adapt and why they need to adapt. Big topic, and we've got a great panel today. I'm speaking with Fabian Cortez at IBM. I'm speaking with Pete Swaby at the EIU, and I'm speaking with Dinesh Sharma at SAP. I'm going to kick off the roundtable now with Fabian Cortez at IBM. Fabian, I'm looking at your notes, a lot of interesting points here. I think we will start with the the, the uh, report you sent me. Digital commerce continues to expand at a larger pace than the overall economy. I don't know if this is good news, if this is scary news, or if this is exciting news. I see here you're referencing a report from InternetRetailer.com, uh, February 17, 2015. Fabian, you want to take us through a little bit of the importance of this statement, please, and tell us what it really means? Absolutely, Bonnie. Uh, I think this actually... It is good news. From my perspective, it could be scary and it could be challenging for a lot of the organizations out there. However, the fact that commerce as an overall industry since its inception in the tech boom of the late 1990s has been growing dramatically faster than the overall economy worldwide. What that means is that in order for organizations to stay relevant now and in the future, they will have to adapt to some of these new technologies, uh, including the Internet of Things or the way you engage with your customers, right? Again, whether you are in the B2B or a B2C space. This challenge and this opportunity, what represents is uh, the need for uh, organization leaders to focus on how they are going to leverage these new technologies now and in the future. It, it has been a challenge that we address very much head-on at IBM and in our practice, looking to consult, looking to guide our, our customers in how they should be thinking about new methods of engagement, how they should be thinking about the new devices and the new technologies that are coming out, what are the opportunities uh, that this will represent to enhance and make the lives easier of their customers. So we're taking not only a technology approach, but we're taking an overall conversation of how these devices can and should expand and make our lives uh, much more productive and easier overall. Now, when I look at digital commerce uh, specifically, I look at an opportunity to not only enhance the ways uh, and, and, and the business metrics that are very relevant for all the decision makers. Uh, we're only looking to enhance the quality of service. We're looking to enhance the overall experience uh, that uh, our customers and our customers' customers have. And so it is a very interesting challenge because this is where the growth has been and this is where the growth will be, at least for the foreseeable future. Thank you very much, Fabian. Pete Swaby, chime in here. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, um, that Fabian is, is thinking about this through uh, the, the prism of uh, devices. Uh, um, I mean, are we not really talking about digital services and the way um, companies uh, offer new forms of value? Um, through digital services? Is it, the, um, is it the devices that is really making the difference, do you think, at this stage? Fabian? Fabian? Um, it, it is a combination. Um, um, 
it is a combination. It's, it, the device is definitely making a difference. However, uh, the device has to be implemented, right? So that is where opportunity comes in. How do we make these devices play together, right, with, with a customer-centric uh, focus? We should definitely think about uh, all of the devices that we are now carrying, uh, everything from the phone to the biometric devices that we have and the sensors that organizations are putting in all of their uh, products and in, in, in all the sensors that the society is also getting uh, used to. Uh, for example, uh, it's, it's a widely known fact that London is the most uh, videotaped uh, city in the world. So mm. these are exactly the kinds of devices that I'm talking about. How do you make your life easier, simpler, and how at the same time can you enhance those business metrics that are so important? Pete, comments? But, but do you think, it, it, I, I just, I, I sort of wonder whether um, if I, I'm an organization who is, um, you know, um, a traditional company and I'm thinking about uh, what it is that I'm going to do as a company in order to compete and, you know, face off the, the risk of disruption that is the, the kind of major nightmare among executives at the moment, I wonder whether thinking about devices is, uh, what's going to show them the way forward, and rather um, whether a, uh, a thinking about services and, and what it is that you're actually, what value you're actually delivering to your customers, uh, might be a, uh, a more productive and more pro- profitable way of thinking about things. You know what? I want to get Dinesh in this conversation. I want to make this a yeah. three-way conversation. Dinesh, yeah, we I, have a very provocative question. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I understand both takes on it, but, um, you know, maybe I'd want to illustrate it by, um, by picking an example of a, of a company which really has engaged in tremendous digital uh, transformation and, and disruption. So this is Airbnb, you know, um, which essentially has disrupted the whole value chain in, in, in hotels and essentially accommodation. Um, I think if people look at things in too much of a linear manner, in other words, they're, they're extending the thinking of the past. Um, the way to have solved the accommodation problem would have been to build more hotels, for instance, which is probably what a hotel chain would have done. But if you look at the problem orthogonally and you're not mired in the linear thinking of the past and you, and you use the confluence of technologies that are appeared today, then you realize I'm not really dealing with the problem of hotels. I'm dealing with the first-order problem, which is what hotels are meant to solve, which is accommodation in a place in a city that you don't live in. And when you think about it like accommodation, then accommodation is, yes, there's plenty of accommodation in the city. It's a question of software and analytics. So the services that are now made available to allow you to be able to solve that problem. So some, you know, uh, you know, an analogous uh, example would be Uber and um, essentially taxis. You know, they're not solving a taxi problem. They're solving a transportation problem in that, you know, plenty of times I've been to New York City and I've stood on a street corner and gone, there isn't enough taxis in this city. One Mm -hmm. question to ask is, is there enough transportation? Yes, there is. It's just in a different place. And I think that's kind of what, I think the answer is in the middle. Devices and, and interoperability and connections and things are all good. But I believe... The business outcome to become king here, and uh, that's what people will look for. And they will suddenly find 
the traditional processes or ways of looking at how to get there melting away with the advent of all the technologies, whether it's connections between people, devices, businesses. You won't be handcuffed by those traditional ways of looking at it. And it will be the companies that can look at it in a truly transformative light. And not everybody does, right? People think incrementally sometimes. And maybe that's the right approach in some industries and some use cases. But in a lot of places, before they know it, in the blink of an eye, you know, digital disruption will, will occur and, uh, you know, a chain of events uh, will happen. We see it every single time, you know, from the industrial revolution to the IT economy, internet economy, all the way through the digital economy. There are winners and losers, and there's sometimes very, very big losers uh, in these space, in these major these positions. So that, that's, you know, my way of kind of looking at it in, is, is a, in between the, the view that Pete and, um, and Fabian have. Thank you, Dinesh. Great. Uh, Fabian, I want you to come back, Fabian, and since you started this one, and, and just uh, add, what do you think about what Dinesh added to the discussion? I think Dinesh and I are in, in, in perfect synchronicity. The, the way I look at this is exactly finding the balance between the business metrics that are very relevant for the decision makers, and at the end of the day, this is a business show, and, and, and our listeners are interested in, in understanding and, and perhaps learning new ways to think about uh, the new digital economy. But our customers also have customers, right? So we will only be successful if we can make our customers' customers' lives easier, their journey more uh, productive, and overall deliver best in, in, in a more effective and, and better way what our products and services are. And this is how we are using all these tools and services. Uh, yes, uh, all these devices are uh, changing the way we conduct business, but it, it, it's also a component. There are, there are components to an overall strategy of doing analytics, of doing a customer journey that it's more effective. So you don't have to log into your computer. You can do everything from your phone, et cetera. And, and this is exactly the success our customers' customers are looking for for them. Um, for example, um, uh, Granger, uh, who is one of our uh, success stories on the e-commerce business-to-business um, environment, they have been very successful at consumerizing their customers' uh, journey. They are acting in many ways as a uh, direct-to-consumer organization using the web and using uh, the shopping experience that we used to as, as, as consumers for their business users, and that is a significant uh, shift in paradigm, in my opinion. Thank you, Fabian. Pete Swaby, talk to can us. I, what do you think? I, can, yeah. Uh, well, I think I'd like to go back to something Dinesh was saying about uh, talking about the, uh, the the much currently much discussed examples of Airbnb and mm-hmm. Uber, and uh, it raises the question whether a conventional, um, whether it's a, either a, a hotel operator or maybe a public transport operator or taxi firm, whether it would actually be possible for them to go from the, uh, the, the, the current state that they're in and move into a position like, like an Uber or an Airbnb, whether it would actually be possible for an established company to somehow divest all its infrastructure, whether it be that hotel rooms or cars that it owns, and move to a position such that it's more of an information service 
Um, these these companies like Airbnb and Uber are just exchanging information. Um, so is it possible to move from a traditional company to be a, an information exchange like that? Dinesh? Um, I, I would hazard to guess not. As they, you know, trying to point out is that, um, you know, there's nothing stopping a, a big hotel chain having the same idea that uh, Airbnb had. But as I said, to solve that problem, they probably would have built more hotels. The model that, you know, if you're mired in traditional linear thinking, the way that you would always look at this is we will see a competitor in the hotel, hoteling business arrive when we see somebody assimilate $5 billion worth of assets and we'll know somebody's coming after us. But when the company that now the world's essentially biggest hotelier owns no physical assets, how do you see somebody coming? That's why reinvention is, is, is critically mm-hmm. important. Um, I, I want to make one point about uh, something that Fabian said before as well. Yes. Is that I think a, a topic that I'm starting to hear a lot more of is we're familiar with the terms B2B and B2B to C, but now the potential is in this new economy where the customer really is the one who specifies what they want. Are we going to start to see a C to B economy, a customer to business economy, where mm-hmm. I think what I want, and I get, you know, if you pick you pick Uber, I need a ride from here to here. Business comes and gets me. That is truly a C to B business, and it's going to extend to products customized just for me. I want this type of sneaker, uh, this type of, you know, whatever product, and will people be able to build it, and they'll be able to, you, you know, essentially deliver to the segment of one. And so, that is extending some of the things I think Fabian's saying is that suddenly, you know, we're not guessing, we're not doing focus groups, we're not figuring out what somebody wants. We're going to build what somebody wants when they want it because the infrastructure and the, the essential agile infrastructure that we have allows us to do that. Not only do we do that as a differentiator to start with, but I would hazard to say within five years, those things will become table stakes. That is what? I will expect. That is what Pete, Fabian, Bonnie, mm-hmm. you, you will expect, is that these yep. things will, will happen. And that is a function of just the pace of change or, or adoption of technologies. So, you know, I think this, you know, customer to, uh, to business is, is probably going to, is a trend that I think is going to gather, gather a lot of steam. So, Dinesh, um, and that's Dinesh, a very different way of looking at things. That, that's a great way of looking at it. You bring to mind, this is Bonnie, a couple of things. Number one, I, I think you may be talking about the make-for-me economy, the make-for-me model where I want it, I want it my mm-hmm. way, I want it now, build it for me, and that's the way it is. But, mm-hmm. Dinesh, you may be surprised. You reminded me of a line from a song from the movie and the Broadway show, Funny Lady, and the song is Sadie, Sadie, Married Lady. I don't know if you ever saw the play. Did you, Dinesh, by chance, or see the movie with Barbara Streisand? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Well, here's no, the line. No, I've not and I, seen it. No. Here's the line, and I think this may be what you're talking about. The line is, do for me, buy for me, lift me, carry me. And then she goes, finally, got to, got to marry me. But the point is, you're saying, Uber, I want a cab. I want a lift. I want to go to that hotel. I want my yeah. room ready a certain way. Do for me, buy for me, lift yeah. me, carry me. It's almost exactly what you could, you could say is the Uber mantra yeah. in business, right? <laughs> 
Sorry for the reference, guys, but it yes. just popped yeah. up in my head, and I had to check it out. Who wants to re- respond to Dinesh? Pete or Fabian or both of you? Who's who's ready to uh, to talk to Dinesh about this C to B economy concept, which I think is very apropos and, and uh, very great observation? Pete or Fabian? I will do it, Bonnie. This is Fabian. Um, yes. I, I, I think it, it made a lot of sense, right? This is exactly uh, what I was referring earlier about the business leaders of our customers thinking about how to create these, make for me, this customer-to-business uh, new economy, right? They, there is a lot of new digital channels out there, uh, mobility, social, IoT, etc., and they're all... Uh, the customers are utilizing these new tools, these new channels, and, and so the business leaders are figuring out and, and working and exploring and discussing how to tap that potential and how to address this massive market segmentation of just one individual, whether it's a customer or a business. And that is exactly what the conversation is about, right, how we are focusing our efforts to address our, the business challenges and create the new stage of the digital economy because we have all these tools. We're applying services that uh, we are developing internally and making sure that we provide this thought leadership to our customers and help them explore. Nobody knows our customers' customers like they do. Right? We can only provide and guide and, 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 and show uh, the capabilities of a tool or a service. But when we do this together and we explore these opportunities, innovative ideas happen all the time. And so this is one of the um, areas where I'm focused that I will drive personally to to get these uh, customer-to-business market uh, and and creating the new digital economy. Thank you. Pete Swaby, want to hear your thoughts. Well, I just, it just raises more, many, many questions. So, so if the, the, the customer is in control, is, um, the, the nature of the organizations that we, uh, currently, uh, see around us, the large corporations that are all, are built in order to, uh, make the most efficient use of resources, make the most efficient use of information, is that really, uh, really relevant anymore? Or are, um, the, the, the organizations that are going to create value in, in a sort of um, customer-to-business organization actually going to be networks of independent actors. Will they, they uh, be able to better um, respond effectively to um, the, the customer who's in the driving seat, who, who's, who's broadcasting uh, messages of demand? Um, so, uh, again, back to the... To the um, uh, example of Uber and, and Airbnb. These aren't um, these aren't C to B um, customers. They're companies. They are peer to peer companies, and there just happens to be a, um, uh, a a network in between them. So, is the is the logical extension of the trend uh, Dinesh and Fabian are talking about? In fact, the there is no B. Dinesh, Dinesh, it gets more and more more interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying, Pete, and I think this this notion of um, what does the business of the future really look like? I mean, uh, if you go back 20, 30 years, you know, you yeah, and even longer, you know, the whole vertical integration, you know, the manufacturing plants that that everybody owned. 
there was a divestiture of, of, of things to allow businesses to do what they were good at, what their core competencies were. That we're not a manufacturing company, we're a design company, we'll get manufacturing from somewhere else. And, you know, essentially, you know, I happen to be in Hong Kong, we're just across the border from Shenzhen, and everybody knows, you know, China is the world's workshop, you know, they build everything here. And so, you know, and that's happened in a comparatively small amount of time, 25, 30 years um, total. Um, that's elicited probably what is the first stage of an evolution in businesses, which is, you know, what is the core competence? You would hazard to guess that companies like Nike, you know, are, are just a brand and distribution, and 10,000 other smaller companies working together in a network or an orchestrated network um, by Nike. And so, you know, it, it's a fascinating time. I don't know the specific answer, but I do feel very strongly that, that networks of networks are kind of a defining um, feature of how businesses will operate in the future. And I think you're, you're, you're clear. You're much more specific about Uber and, and, and Airbnb as peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. But the, the facilitator, the thing that makes it all work, is that entity that, that puts that network together. And, you know, um, is it that's how businesses are going to evolve in the future? You know, is a car is going to, you know, slowly but surely um, start to be made up of modular components from different places so that you can exactly what you want um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating time and I think the technologies the underlying technologies and I think Fabian knows this very clearly from IBM's perspective that the underlying technologies that we can deliver are the things that allow people to even ask these types of questions that's, that's I think uh, you know that's what the reinvention in my quote is about is it's, it's for the companies that are bold that, that can look at these this confluence of technologies come up with ways of using them in, in radically different manner. Uh, not all of them are going to work, but I think we all have uh, built into our systems today, you know, fast failure, you know, understand quickly, move quickly, be nimble, uh, try and address what those customer needs are and see what the end result is. But if not, move on to the next thing. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you, Dinesh. Pete, any comments before I go to uh, uh, something in your notes I want to talk about? Pete? No, let's, good? Let's, let's move on. Okay. You have here, uh, very interesting, and I love your provocative tone here. It's, it's uh, working very well on live radio. You say ideas like hyperconnectivity and digital in the current sense are attempts for us to understand something going on around us that seems very big. And your comment is it might not be possible to tell how big it is while it's still going on. Can you explain that for us, please? I'm very intrigued by that. Do you think we're making a digital mountain out of a very small molehill, or what do you think? No, 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 absolutely not. Absolutely not. Clearly, these are, these are uh, sig significant trends. It's just it, it's, we're at the most difficult um, time in history uh, to properly assess the scale and the, and the direction of these trends being the, 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 uh, the, they're in the present. And it's very difficult to find the perspective to, to see where these things are going while they are, while they are happening. I, I, I guess what it is that, that makes me observe that is the, mm -hmm. is the return of the phrase digital, the word digital, which was sort of already discredited and moved on from once in the history of IT. I understand, although it's a little bit before my time, that it was 
privileged, certainly privileged in the 80s. So why is it that we've come back to this word, and why have we come mm-hmm. back to uh, what is it that we're trying to talk about? So I, I, uh, not to blow our trumpet, but I, I, with our phrase hyperconnectivity, I think we're, we're getting a, a little bit more specific, and I think it's useful to be specific with the words that we use so it can help us think clearly about the uh, growing inter- interconnectedness of people, organizations, and machines as a result of various successive uh, communications uh, technologies, the internet, mobile technology, and the Internet of Things, um, but it's still, um, but that's still a very focused, very focused on the um, that definition focuses a, a lot on technology and doesn't quite encapsulate the, um, the 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 sort of cultural and societal trends that we're talking about here, which is 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 very hard to, as I say, very hard to get a handle on while it's going on around us. Um, you know, from a sociological point of view, we've there was a lot of discussion around uh, when social media started, uh, when once we all began accepting that it wasn't just a, a fad and uh, there were various political movements that uh, uh, were, were born on social media and we suddenly realized that this is uh, not just the latest kind of um, trendy tech, but uh, 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 it is becoming part of our social infrastructure. Um, but but how does that relate to the way that um, businesses are operating? How do businesses um, understand the cultural context in which their customers are now operating as a result of these technologies that we're talking about? Um, this is uh, what I'm saying, I guess, is, is quite the opposite. Not that the, we're overblowing it, that perhaps we are not understanding it holistically enough um, mm-hmm. and that we, we t- in bu- business we tend to think quite reductively. We t- tend to think about uh, processes and value chains where, in fact, you know, this is all about human interaction and, and society. Um, uh, there's not much of a contribution to the, uh, to the thinking, but it's just a challenge for people to try and think as broadly as possible and maybe that will help them find the transformational ideas that, that we're saying they need to find. Thank you, Pete. Very interesting point of view. You brought to my mind the one of my favorite phrases in French, plus à change, plus à la même chose. You're saying digital was a word that, that you thought we got rid of, and here it is making a comeback, and here we go again around and around the circle. Um, we have 10 minutes till the end of the show, actually nine minutes left, and I want to cover one more point from Dinesh's notes to make sure we, we get a lot of interesting, well, we're very already a very interesting conversation, but something I'm not sure that we covered, and I think it's important to Dinesh. Uh, Dinesh, you told me in your notes, your competitors, talking to businesses who are in our listening audience, your competitors are disrupting your business, not the digital startups. Surprisingly, your biggest source of competitive pressure sources are the same ones you've been dealing with for years. Industries embracing hyperconnectivity are pressuring your industry to adapt. So you're saying it's an inside thing, it's a, basically a family thing. That if you think of the ecosystem of companies and their competitors, you're saying that there's a new type of competition because of hyperconnectivity. Dinesh? I think um, the, the point they're trying to make, and it in some way is, Contradictory to some of the things we talked about with Uber and, and, and uh, Airbnb, but um, mm-hmm. this is a this was a result of um, some of the surveys that uh, the EIU took, and it is companies which gain a digital transformation agenda or strategy ahead of their competition 
um, I think that's the, the point that, we, that we're starting to see here, is that that's the fear factor I think companies have. If a competitor in the same line of business picks a way of utilizing the connections between people, business, and, and gets a leg up, uh, because of the pace of technology, because of the pace of change, that can easily add to competitive margin advantages versus your competition. A lot of businesses today have kind of entered into steady state where best practices uh, and optimized processes, as, as Pete talks about, have been in place for years. And so to some degree, it is almost like a um, an armistice across industries as we all understand one another's cost structure. We're entering a phase where suddenly one of those guys can, you know, play with an extra couple of in the tech. Uh, and so that is, a, and because the, everybody's involved in the same line of business, that if you pick mining or you pick retail, um, that's, they understand that business very, very well. So if they just get one unique differentiator in industries mm-hmm. which have been very hard to get unique differentiators in for quite a few years, it can cause huge ramifications is, is the point I was trying to make. I don't know, Pete might have some other interesting perspectives on that, you know, seeing as this was kind of a point that was raised in, in some, of the, uh, some of the survey data that came back. Pete? Well, I think it's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I think it's really interesting. This is, this is what, what um, uh, our survey tells us, that, that uh, most companies believe that it will in, in, they have encountered and will encounter uh, or more companies say they have encountered severe or moderate competitive pressure from existing uh, um, competitors using digital project products that ha- then have um, experienced that kind of pressure from startups. And the question that, that raises is, are they correct? Um, will, if we were to ask the same people the same question in five years' time, say, in fact, w- in fact, uh, we were wrong. We we were missing the um, uh, competitive pressure from startups. At, at that point, we couldn't see. Or are they right? Is it that it uh, is it while we spend a lot of time talking about in the current moment, we spend a lot of time talking about startups and how they're going to disrupt giant corporations quietly. Um, a lot of established companies are moving into digital, digital products and services that are um, changing the competitive landscapes in, in the market. So I think it's probably a – the truth is probably on an industry-by-industry industry basis. Obviously, we've, been, we've talked about the example of, of hotels that are currently undergoing the sort of um, disruption nightmare that many other um, industries such as media and publishing have been through, but at the same, uh, on the, at the same time, there are uh, industries like supermarket retail, where in fact it's many of the biggest um, uh, chains because they have such huge uh, logistics operations that are best placed to um, provide digital services. So I don't think it's a there's not a, a simple answer for the entire economy. Uh, but the rules are slightly different from industry to industry, as ever. Thank you. 
Thank you. Guess what? We are just about at the cusp of moving into what I call home plate at the end of the show. It's time for our crystal ball predictions round. I'm going to ask our three panelists to look into the future. I love the year 2020 just because it kind of trips off the tongue, thanks to probably Barbara Walters, Baba Wawa. But you can pick any time in the future you like. So we have, oh, four minutes left. I'm going to give you each 60 seconds on the clock for your predictions. If we met again at a point in the future and you tell me when that would be, what would you say differently about the digital economy? Are organizations adapting? Have they adapted? Will they have adapted by then? Fabian Cortez at IBM 60 Seconds Predictions. Go. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. favorite movies growing up uh, was Back to the Future, right? So I'm still waiting for flying DeLoreans. Predicting the future is definitely <laughs> one of the hardest things to do. So I'm going to focus in the human relationships aspect of, of the future. I believe that by 2020, there will be more competitive agility in the marketplace. Um, one of the perfect scenarios is within my own organization. The way we're operating is very much like an entrepreneurial organization within mm-hmm. a corporate conglomerate. So I, I think by 2020, there will be more a network of a smaller organizations within IBM and in the marketplace in general that will make the world even more dynamic and agile than already is. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciated, Pete Swaby. 60 seconds. Predictions. Go. Sure. Okay. So as you, you may have picked up uh, during this show, I'm a uh, writer and editor and, and think about uh, as much about the words we use to talk about technology as the technology itself. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Fabian that, that we are we would be foolish to, almost in this area, to, to predict one or five years in advance, let alone, uh, yeah, let alone five years. But um, I, I, I don't know what the time scale is, but one day we certainly won't be using the phrase digital economy any more than that we're currently using the phrase the electrical economy. Thank you very much. Very interesting. That's provocative. I expect nothing less from you, Mr. Swaby. Dinesh Sharma, 60 seconds. Predictions, go. I'd say the view of uh, the digital economy today in 2015 is going to be radically different in 2020. So the things that we think are going to happen in 10 years will probably happen in two to three years. And I think the Future predictions of what's going to happen in 2020 for the digital economy will continue, whether it's called that or not, as Pete says, are going to be even more far-fetched. What is a consistent theme here is it is a morphing concept. And uh, I think the point that Pete made before about we're in the middle of it, so we don't really know how big it is, I don't think we, are, we will know how big it is ever because the pace is just going to continue to pick up And further to Fabian's point, the kind of people who will be working inside our companies will be very different as we start to go through generational changes, and their adoption of these technologies will lead us to in completely different ways. Um, And so I think asking questions about five years in the future will be obsolete in five years. Ah, that's provocative. I love it. I have a quick bonus question for each of you and exactly yes or no answer. That's all we have time for. Will the term hyperconnectivity be a thing of the past, dead and buried and never to be talked about again in the year by the year 2020? Fabian, yes or no? No. Pete Swaby. No, I hope not. Okay, Dinesh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to have to say yes now. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it will be 
We'll be on to the next thing. <laughs> Beautif- beautifully done. So. Thank you. Fabian Cortez at IBM, Pete Sway, BDIU, Dinesh, Dinesh Arm at SAP. What a lively, engaging conversation. We had at least one provocateur on the call today, and I loved it. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Good conversation, the digital economy, when, where, why, how long will it last? You're going to have to tune in for part two in five years, and we'll tell you whether their predictions come true or not. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Also, shout out to Becky Weber at SAP for sponsoring the series. Wilson Zhu, who managed this episode great panel wilson you did it again and thanks for the tweets brad and the business channel team appreciate it i'll be back in one hour from now with game changing women radio you don't want to miss that one here on the business channel signing off for right now here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today thanks for tuning in bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.